Hello, this is Michael Nopinson with Information Security Media Group, coming to you from the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, site of Palo Alto Network's Ignite 22. I'm joined this afternoon by Nikesh Arora. He is the chairman and CEO at Palo Alto Networks. Started at the company in June 2018 after at SoftBank and Google. It's helped the company expand from being primarily network security focused to having competencies in everything from cloud security to security operations and growing the network security and SD-WAN practice. Good afternoon, Nikesh. How are you? Great, Michael. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you for making the time. I want to start by talking about your strategy around inorganic growth. Palo Alto Networks was extraordinarily aggressive in M&A from early 18 to early 21, making roughly a dozen acquisitions. Took a little bit of a pause and then for the first time in about 21 months made a major acquisition last month of spending $250 million in cash and equity to buy application security startup Cider Security. So a two-part question for you to start. One is, why did you feel the market was more ripe for acquisitions again? And then secondly, what in particular made Cider stand out? When I joined Palo Alto, we had a phenomenal product capability in the firewall space and associated systems. But to be honest, we had not expanded laterally into other parts of cybersecurity from an industry. And when I walked around and talked to customers, the customers pretty well understood our firewall capability, but they were focused on newer threats, newer areas, for example, EDR, XDR space, or the emerging notion of cloud. And the question I asked myself is, why are we not putting enough effort into those categories. And we had some fledgling efforts and some minor acquisitions we'd made, but honestly, not at the scale, capability, and competence which we should or would need to be able to be a leader in that market just like we had in the firewall space. So we paid that technical debt by aggressively going to the market, finding the number one in the market, incenting the founders to come be at Palo Alto and letting them run the show. And that's how we got to where we are. Now, as you rightfully identified, we had acquisitions in categories we didn't play in. Uh, We had a substantial number of acquisitions in cloud security. And what's been fascinating to watch is in cloud security, I've always contended the full portfolio or gamut of capabilities that is needed has not been built yet. We started with workload security, we did containers, we did serverless, we built a web, web application firewall, we built Kim ourselves, you know. So we did a bunch of acquisitions. Then we saw we go to DevSecOps because the insertion point of security flaws is actually in the developer part because everybody is focused, focusing on the runtime part of it, not the developer part of it. So runtime, you play whack-a-mole. You figure it out, you whack it, it goes back, it comes back again. The only way to fix it is to go where it's developed. So from that perspective, you suddenly began to see that as customers are going to the cloud, They're using more and more tools, more and more open source capability, and really the DevSecOps process needed more help. And that's where we scanned the market, looked at a lot of players, Mm -hmm. looked at a fit with our capabilities and how we can integrate, and CIDR came out and came through. And what CIDR is going to do for us is going to do a whole bunch of scanning capability as well as it's going to help us with supply chains, whether it's being used by our customers in the development process. There's no validation if those tools are secure. So you know, combining CIDR with what we did with Bridge Crew, which is IAC, interest code, I think actually continues to make our cloud security port. What made CIDR stand out among all the other supply chain startups? I know there's been a ton of money flowing into the space. What, what, made, what makes CIDR different? It's a new category. It's a category we think the product's not fully ripe yet. The product is still under development. In that case, it was important that whilst we looked at every player in the space, the founders of CIDR had a very similar vision as to how we believe that supply chain has to be. How do we think that that industry segment has to be tackled? How does it need to interface with other application security capability out in the market, whether it be legacy or new wave? So really, it was the alignment of strategy. It was the alignment of the founder's culture to Palo Alto's culture and our ability to absorb them, integrate them, structures, which really made it stand out. 
know you've talked about if you're entering a category, you want to be uh, best of breed, you want to be a product leader. What do you feel Palo Alto Networks need to be leader? In? Cloud security is already surpassed the notion in best of breed. It is so important that your develop time security is connected to deploy and runtime security that that integration, that alignment, the ability to follow a piece of code from development all the way to it being implemented in your runtime is extremely For us to win in supply chain, it's important not only to be able to do all the right scanning, all the right understanding of all the different capabilities, tool sets, and open source widgets that come into the supply chain, that it is to make sure that you can trace them from there all the way to run. So both are important. So I think for us to win, we've got to make sure we can connect the two, and that's what CIDR is going to do as part of the presentation. When we spoke at June at RSA conference, as well as when you spoke to investors during earnings calls, you've been pretty vocal on the fact that you don't feel the valuations for startups have rationalized. You feel like the public market has, but not the startup market. Do you feel over the past six months you've started to see a rationalization in startup valuations, or is it still hard to find a reasonably priced startup? We paid 200 and for CIDR. Strategic value of in space is more important than any you know, difference. Now, those things become amplified. If you're talking about a $10 billion company and it needs to be down 20%, that's a big difference. So I think in the early stage space, if you have product market alignment, the founder alignment, one's more comfortable with the valuations. And also, current market and the macroeconomic condition make it easier for founders to consider being part of Palo Alto than going out alone because they're going to have to raise a lot of money over the next two, four, five years. And now with the IPO market vanishing, the exit is not straightforward. So I think to the extent that it's impacted the psyche of founders and their desire to be part of a larger enterprise, it's good. I'm not quite sure the absolute valuations fully settled yet. It was a down round two days ago for no security. It's not down enough in my mind. In the recent months, have startup founders been more receptive to having conversations around acquisitions due to the economic downturn, or is there still some resistance to do it on their own? Well, look, Michael, at the end of the day, you will always have founders, strong believers and do it alone. Market downturn or no downstanding. Many founders actually have gone out to build a business. Now, now, I don't know in the last four or five years with easy exits and rapidly escalating valuations, did we lure some people into the market who wanted a quick exit? Probably. So those people are probably willing to have a conversation are much more eager. But I think the founders who actually set out to change the world or set out to make something phenomenal happen are probably going to do that for a while. I want to turn to consolidation here. I know it's been a, so you said you spoke about it three years ago and you were speaking about it again today. Yep. When you look at market share data from IDC, network securities had some consolidation. The rest of the space is still highly fragmented. A two-parter for you. How are conversations today around consolidation different than the ones you were having three, six months ago? What do you think fundamentally is going to change now to drive consolidation in a way we haven't acted for most of the space? These are small numbers, but when I started, our market share was to 1.7 our total TAM. In addition to the TAM growth in the market, we think we're at three, three and a half, four, we've doubled our market share in absolute terms and overall terms of what we have. If we double our business again in the next three years, three and a half years, again, we should be doubling our market share close to it. So it's going to take some time to grow into a $200 billion TAM when you're going to do $7 billion this year in revenue. So it's going to take time, but we definitely feel we're taking market share. In firewalls, we saw a report which said our share of firewalls is 30%. In software firewalls, our share is similar or higher. From a category-specific basis, yes, we believe we are taking more share or climbing up the share numbers. But a lot of security is served. From a product perspective, I think our share is higher than three from all the products sold in cybersecurity. And I have no doubt that we're using a market share. Uh, the consolidation conversation really is being driven by the fact that customers for a very long time. And as you saw, despite that last year, there were 2,500 ransomware victims. Ransomware attacks didn't go away. People did not have security breaches. So clearly the old approach hasn't worked for people. People have to stop trying to stitch the process themselves. They have to let 
they have to buy such solution or platforms. Now, he was still the only platform company in the market on cloud or in network security or in soft. And we're also trying to make sure all three of them are still going to get integrated. The door is still open. The opportunity is still out there. We're seeing signs of consolidation. I think those signs will grow. You're talking about integrating the cloud piece, the network, and the SOC piece. I know historically we've seen Prisma Stratacortex operate somewhat independently of one. What is the path toward consolidating those three or having the three of them having those? The last technological evolution paves the way for the next. The last four years we've spent time trying to build a network stack, which is consistent in hardware, software. So now we actually have hardware, software, SASE that works. Then we've connected that software, that stack, or the network data that we get with XDR to build XIM. So what's going to happen is, over time, XIM will become the point of integration where people will bring all their data because that's where the SOC, and eventually the SOC is responsible for your mean time to respond and your security posture. I think in the end, everything meets the SOC, be it cloud, be it endpoint, be it network security. And with the launch of XIM about three months ago, I think we're beginning to start that journey on trying to encourage more consolidation because eventually it leads to a better security outcome, which should always be the objective, us as vendors and our customers. So in terms of that XIM piece, what are some of the ways that you're leveraging artificial intelligence uh, to become more autonomous? I know we hear it, particularly Sentinel-1 talk, the autonomous cycle to you. What's different about how you're approaching? Fundamentally, even if you look at what's happened with ChatGPT 3 you require a lot of training data. Without having first-party data that's clean, that you can normalize and analyze and build AI models on, it's garbage in, garbage out. And part of the industry still believes AI has garbage in, garbage out, but the real first step is to make sure you own first-party consistent. What we've been able to do is through our XDR capability, both from an endpoint perspective, from a firewall perspective, we have first-party data. Think about it. We're the only company in the cybersecurity industry which collects both our own endpoint data and our own firewall data, which is approximately 80% of the data of an enterprise. That's where most of the security flaws can be figured out. In that context, what gives me comfort is we are able to bring those two data sets to bear in our XIM or XDR product that allows us to cross-correlate and look for anomalous behavior. That ability to observe anomalous behavior gives us the confidence to stop something midstream. Because certainly the problem in the industry is no vendor has the comfort to stop something that is not 100% bad. And it's very hard to judge 100% bad all the time without understanding the fact that it could come in piece parts and then go form in your infrastructure. You know, different pieces of malware coming together where they look fine individually, but when it comes together, this becomes a problem. So with the fact that we can have 80% of data gives us so much comfort, allows us to block threats in real time, allows us to be more definitive in that capability, and that capability is growing. So we are deploying AI against those data sets. Now we're using our first-party data to cross-correlate against other third-party data, which allows us to get more comfort around being able to stop this. At the end of the day, the game is, can I reduce the noise in the customer? The more noise I reduce, the more I isolate the signal. In many cases, the more I even block the signal, which is a threat signal, I'm going to create a better security outcome. I think it's early days. We're delighted because we've been able to bring our own mean time to remediate down to under a minute from 20 plus days. I think we can do that for our customers one at a time successfully as we can build these AI models that allow us to. From a zero trust perspective, and now in particular, Jay Chowdhury, CEO of Zscaler, has been critical of how network firewalls as part of the zero trust architecture. Where do you believe that network firewalls belong in the space of zero trust? Well, look, I can't read his mind, so I don't know why he's... You know, let me take a shot at this. To abstract the fact that at the end of the day, there's a lot of data that is be it enterprise, be it your hybrid enterprise with cloud and enterprise, or be it your cloud instance. There's a lot of data that's... Now, for you to make sure that there is no transmission of threats or no transmission of malware through your data, you put a firewall. And the fact that network traffic is doubling or tripling on a consistent basis every two years 
tells you that there's more and more data to be inspected. Now you can inspect it with a hardware firewall. If you're running it through a hardware, you can inspect it with a software firewall. If you're running it in the cloud, or you can run it through a firewall in the cloud, which is what is used to deliver secure service edge. So from that perspective, the active form factor it takes depends on your use case. What Zero Trust says is don't make exceptions, don't break rules, be consistent in however you inspect the data across every device, every user. My counter to your comment is, look, we're the only company in the security industry which has the ability to inspect data in all use. Your branch use case, be your SD-WAN use case, be it your data center, be it your cloud instance, the data, and we can consistently apply all security service we have against all of that data to be able to deliver the outcome. So to me, that is true zero trust. I think any other vendor out there who's claiming their zero trust has to understand if they're the only solution in a customer's environment and they're zero trust, great, then the customer has zero trust. If you have you know, a different vendor for SASE, a different vendor for firewalls, and a different vendor for your software form factor firewalls, then you cannot do zero trust because all three have different policies, different capabilities, and unless you're a genius and you can make their policies all three and make them respond the same way, you're not able to do zero trust. So you want to go to zero trust, actually do it the way it's supposed to be, you have to buy. Are you seeing from customers increased demand or interest for a single vendor SASE vendor approach? It'll be foolhardy to go ahead and implement a multi-vendor SASE because you're basically you're doing remote access employees, you're doing campus access to have a single vendor. I think perhaps the question you were probably asking was, is it important to have a single vendor which scales your hardware firewalls? And so well, that's, a, that's what the right answer is. Now, does that mean every customer is doing it? No. Does that mean you're going to end up in a hybrid scenario with two or three different security vendors in a network stack? Possibly. But I think that's a matter of time. Honestly, to implement zero trust, to be able to get to a better security posture, customers will eventually have to consolidate into a singular architect on SASE with hardware and remote access. But again, it's early days. Talk about the economic climate here. I know when we spoke six months ago at RSA, we're just at the early early signs of a downturn. Obviously, things have worsened. So how uh, how is customer buying behavior different today versus when we were speaking? What are customers asking? How, what are they looking at today? We had a persistent war going on um, in Russia and with Russia and Ukraine. We've had oil and natural gas prices go up, depending winter in most of Europe. All those things have had an impact. From and you have Jay Powell who has a big hammer, and he's using the hammer to make sure that he's down inflation. That hammer that is beating down inflation is going to get there through tempering economic growth. When economic growth tempers, customers are looking at their PL saying, Oh my God, can I afford to spend what I thought? I think that's the backdrop, but that's the question. Have things gotten worse from an economic backdrop perspective? Impossible to say because there are some customers who are doing great. If you're an oil company or a gas company, you never made so much money as you're going to make in 2022 and 2023. So you have money to spend. If you're a retailer, you have post pandemic splurge heartache. You're still going to digest all the spending speed that people went on during the pandemic. So you're seeing relative comps for retail look worse. When that happens, they're a little cautious. But again, oil is at a high. Banking is at a high. Rates are up, which means banking businesses make more money. So they're feeling good. Critical infrastructure is high. The governments are high because they're dealing with tons of ransomware attacks and they need to transform their underlying infrastructure. So I don't think you can definitively say that economic environment is having an impact on security spend because security is the last spend that's going to go. Now, what is happening is, to your question, is you are seeing what I call the revenge of the CFO. The CFOs are getting a chance to look at security proposals, security laws. The CFO wants to be in a situation where they said no, because then the onus is on them to make sure the organization is protected. But what they can ask for is, can we spend less? Can we get more for less? 
Can we break it down to various phases? Can we do a separate phase later? So you are seeing all those behaviors in the customer base, but I think you know, for the most part, it's going to be on the margin. I know we've heard a number of other prominent vendors, CrowdStrike, talk about moderating or slowing the rate of head growth. Are you, are you taking similar actions to Palo Alto Networks, or, you can, or are you full steam ahead when it comes? We accelerated personal expansion in Q1. We saw the signs of customers wanting more time, more attention, intensity not a macroeconomic question. So as we saw customers asking for more time or taking more time, we figured it was important to have more. We accelerated direct sales hiring in Q1. We have our sales team that we need to run the year earlier in the year, which is a good thing because that's what you need in a tough environment. You need more people pounding the pavement if demand is there. And we think demand is there. So we think we can out-execute our way, if possible, through this crisis, if we can execute with our team with the feet in the street. Having said that, Jay Paul's hammer is very big. So we've all made sure that we are not really from a cost containment perspective, but from a margin expansion perspective, looked hard. We literally need all the people in hiring because there's a lot of hiring that's gone on the last few time to take a digestive. Finally here, as we look ahead to 2023, what's your biggest priority at Palo Alto now? I spent the first three, first year learning the next three years focusing on product, trying to make sure our product portfolio is up to and robust enough to be able to provide value and secure our customers. I think we have great product market fit. We've added three new businesses that hasn't been done by any cybersecurity company. These three new businesses are all, all on track to reach a billion dollars in bookings in the next 18 months. So from that perspective, we think we've had success. Uh, we've built the capability across our portfolio. We've built a new from there. Very good. It'll be interesting to watch. Nikesh, thank you so much here for the time. Thank you very much for your time, Mike. Of course, we've been speaking with Nikesh Arora. He is chairman and CEO at Palo Alto Network. For Information Security Media Group, this is Michael Novenson. Have a nice day.